Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Like I said, Easter is just a couple weeks away. We're super excited. I want you to open your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 2. And and if you have a physical Bible, open it to Mark 2 and then like put your finger there. Uh, or that little ribbon that uh, I cut off when I was a kid and just threw it away. If you still have that ribbon in your Bible, you can put it there and then flip over to Mark chapter 6, because Mark chapter 6 is where we're going to start. Now, if you're on your smartphone or a tablet, um, if you're using the Version app, which let me encourage you to use the Version app. It's a free download. It's the Bible in like 15,000 different languages and translations. It's awesome. But you can punch the little corner and it's a bookmark and it'll take you right back to that spot. So Mark chapter two, Mark chapter six, that's where we're going to be today. And uh, uh, we're going to, we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus's life and ministry. Um, How many of you are from a different town than you live in right now? Like you have a different hometown, raise your hand. Like you have, I have a different, I have a different hometown. My hometown is Chapmanville, West Virginia. I was born in Logan, West Virginia, which is actually bigger than Chapmanville because I think it has like maybe six or seven stoplights. Chapmanville actually only has one stoplight when I was a kid. One stoplight, it it flashed yellow until eventually they made a three-way, you know, red, green, yellow, red, yellow, green, whatever the order is. Um, And the the flashing one didn't work half the time, so you got to the only intersection in town and you're just kind of like, I don't know who goes. Uh, But that's my hometown. Now, was your hometown, and everybody is going to be different, but was your hometown bigger or smaller than the one you live in now? Just say it out loud. It's going to be just a big mess. Okay, some people bigger, smaller, bigger, smaller. <laughs> My town now is a lot bigger than Chapmanville, West Virginia. Chapmanville, West Virginia had a whopping total of like 1,500 people in it. Uh, we had, uh, when I was growing up, we had two fast food restaurants, uh, Hardee's, because every town's got to have a Hardee's, uh, which is where all the old men gathered on Saturday morning and drank coffee and talked about church business. Um, Hardee's, and then right next to Hardee's was not Dairy Queen. Uh, it was a Dairy Delight. We weren't fancy enough to have the Queen. We just had Delight. So I don't know where they rank in the royal order, uh, but we did not have a Queen. We just had a Delight. Um, and then we had one other major restaurant, and it was called Giovanni's. And Giovanni's was awesome. It had the greasiest pizza that you could ever, like, you could hold your pizza up and it would just drip grease. And it was so good and so bad for you. <laughs> um, but, but that was Chapmanville. Uh, that's the town I grew up in. I have no desire whatsoever to ever go back to that town and live. <laughs> it, raise your hand if you think you would like to move back to your hometown and, and live. Like, you would like to, see, there's only like two of us. Three, four, five, maybe some people are like, I don't know, maybe. Well, this is the situation we find Jesus in. Jesus, this is real interesting because we oftentimes think of Jesus' hometown as like, well, maybe it's Bethlehem because that's where he was born, but it wasn't Bethlehem. And he, he's, you know, he's from Nazareth. That's the town he grew up in. After, after he was born in Bethlehem, his parents uh, took a, you know, Took a, took a flight to Egypt for a couple years to get away from, you know, some crazy people that were killing all the babies. And, and, and he took them to Egypt. And then when they moved back, they moved to a town called Nazareth. And that's where Jesus grew up. That's where his hometown was. But when Jesus, you know, got older and he's thinking, you know, 
I'm going to branch out on my own. I've got to, I've got to get out of this town. I've got to, I, I'm going to start my life, my ministry. He went to a different town. He went to a town called Capernaum. It's a little fishing village right on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Um, he, he went to this town to kind of establish his ministry. And I want to take a look at these two towns this morning, Nazareth and Capernaum. And I want us to kind of contrast uh, and, and compare what Jesus does when he goes back home. What does Jesus do when he goes back home? Because in Mark chapter 6, he's going to go back to Nazareth. And he's going to go back home and something interesting is going to happen. But then if we rewind the story a little bit, we find Jesus in his real home. The place where he's established his, his life and ministry. Maybe even uh, he, he, he's rented a room out or something in a house to live. We don't know. But, but there, there's something unique that happens in Capernaum that really, I think, is going to set the stage for us as we approach Easter Sunday. So if you have Mark chapter 6 uh, ready, we're going to read just, uh, just verse 5 and 6. Let me kind of, cap, uh, kind of give you a recap of where we're at in the story. Jesus has gone back home. He's gone to Nazareth, and he's teaching. He's teaching in Nazareth, and people are astonished. They are blown away by the, by the authority in Jesus' words. They're blown away by the wisdom with which he speaks. He, 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 he teaches and he preaches and people are just captivated by this guy who is from Nazareth, but he's moved away. You know, he went to rabbi school or something and he's come back and we can't believe how awesome he teaches. People just flock to hear him talk and then something happens. Something happens in the crowd. Somebody says, well, wait a second. Isn't, isn't this just Jesus? Like, we know his dad. His dad worked on a table and built a table for me and my family when, when we broke our last one. Isn't this just the carpenter's boy? Isn't this just Mary's son, they say? Like, we know his brothers. What? What are we getting all worked up for? This is just old Jesus. You remember Jesus? He used to play in the streets. He used to run with that group of kids that always knocked over stuff in the marketplace. This is just Jesus. There's nothing special about him. What are we getting all worked up for? And look at this. Look what happens. So, so this kind of doubt and, and really, really lack of, 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 of expectation for who Jesus is sets in in the crowd. And look what happens. Mark chapter 6, verse 5. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Which in my, if I'm writing the book, like, that's awesome. Like, if Jesus just comes by and lays his hand on a few of y'all and heals you, I'm good. But for Mark, Mark had seen and heard some incredible stories. And this was just, he says it's nothing. He just, he just laid his hands on a few people and he healed them. But, but, but he wasn't able to really do any miraculous things there. Look what verse 6 he says. He says, Jesus, he, Jesus, was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, as a pastor, I'm not really in the business of telling people what Jesus can't do. You know, like Jesus is God. Jesus do whatever he pleases. This is his world. Uh, this is his, his, his universe. He created it all. Through him, everything that we know that exists, exists. And so I'm not in the business of saying, well, there's some things Jesus can't do. But, but Mark 
Mark seems to tell us there's some connection. And I don't know what it looks like theologically. I don't know how it works out because, because there's this idea that, you know, we don't convince God. We don't, we don't earn from God grace and healing. It's just, a, it's just a gift of God and his mercy and love and kindness that he does. But something is connected for Mark between the perspective we have of Jesus and what he does when he's in our, our company. There, there, there's some connection because Mark says, look, he couldn't, do many, he couldn't do any miracles there and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Something about, about the faith in the hearts of the people at Nazareth resulted in a situation where Jesus wasn't really the wasn't really uh, doing anything. I don't know how that works. I'm just telling you what Mark says. He says there's some connection here between how we approach Jesus, the expectation that we have, the faith that we have in our hearts about what's going to happen when Jesus comes to what Jesus does when he shows up. So the reason I kind of I want to start here is because I don't want us to be Nazareth. You know, like that's the that's kind of the purpose, you know. This 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 would not this should not be us. We should not be like a Nazareth church with a Nazareth heart. Uh because you know, we don't have we, we don't want Jesus coming by looking at us and saying, I'm amazed at your lack of faith. <laughs> we don't want that. So let's jump back to chapter two to Capernaum to another town with different hearts and a different perspective, and a different mindset of what Jesus can and, and, and can't do and who he is. Look at this, Mark chapter 2, we're just going to read the first 12 verses. Jesus is back home. He's in his home base. Look, this is what Mark says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Jesus has come home. We know him. We've seen him, we've seen him in the in, in kind of the market, buying some fruit so he can have dinner. We've seen him, we've seen him near the coast, walking on the, the Sea of Galilee. We've, we've, we've spent some time around him. He's come back home. This is a guy we know. But look what happens. Look at the difference between Capernaum and Nazareth. Verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. So Jesus is in somebody's house. Maybe it's his house. Maybe it's a house that he's renting a room so he can sleep at night. Maybe it's just a house of some nice person that says, hey, Jesus, you want to set up shop here and teach for a minute? We don't know. He just, he's just in this house and there's no room left. Like, like, there's not even room outside the door. That's what Mark says. Not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So the, so the image is, is, here's Jesus, maybe he's in the living room, maybe he's in the dining room. We don't know. Houses weren't like our houses are today. They're much smaller. So, so he's in there, but they're so packed in this house that they can't get anybody else in there. People are so amazed at his teaching. They're so drawn to the love and the grace and the authority and the wisdom that Jesus is just full of that, that they can't get enough and he's just preaching to them. And then look what happens. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, because remember the whole house is packed, there's not really even room outside the house. It's just people are surrounding the house hoping to just hear a word from Jesus. And so they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus 
by digging through it and then lowered the man, the, the, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, that's an important part. He sees their faith, not the faith of the guy who's paralyzed. We don't know if that guy had faith or not. Mark doesn't tell us, doesn't give us a clue about his, the state of his heart. He says, when he saw their faith, the guys on the top of the roof lowering the rope down, the man on the mat, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there because they're always sitting there looking and not doing anything. Do you think some of them would actually grab the rope and help? But no, they're just sitting there because they're watching the whole thing. Anyway, uh, they're thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins? but God alone. The question they're asking, they don't even realize what, what, what they're saying because they're in their question, in their like, you know, religious indignation, they're actually proclaiming the very reality of what they're experiencing. Yeah, nobody can forgive sins except God. Guess who Jesus is? It's God. So it's kind of Mark's way of like, touche, you know, you're going to sit there and not help, so I'm going to write this about you. Uh, verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, get up take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So the guy gets up, takes his mat, and walks out in full view of them all. And look at the, the reaction. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. I think there are four things that expectation in your heart leads you to take the, the four action steps that, that, that expectation drives you to take. When, when your heart is full of expectation for what Jesus is going to do, what Jesus can do, what Jesus will do, when you get into his presence, if you have an expectant heart, I think there are four things that we see in this passage that that, that, that expectation leads us to. Number one, expectation in your heart leads to invitation in your mouth. Expectation in your heart leads to invitation in your mouth. Now, we don't know these men. Th these men that, that had a buddy, we don't know them. We don't know their stories. We don't know their jobs. We don't know their circumstances. We don't know their financial situation. We don't know their relationship status. We don't know if they're married, engaged, single, you know, widowed. We don't know. We don't know anything about them. All that we know about them is that they're in or around Capernaum and word got out that Jesus had come back home. Jesus is coming. Jesus is home. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is preaching. And, and they start hearing these, these rumors that, that Jesus has come back. And Jesus is, is, is he's, he's special and, and he's healing people and he's reaching out and, and he's, he's touching broken people and he's making them whole. And, and, and maybe one of them was an eyewitness. Maybe like, you know, I was in this other town and, and my cousin, he was blind and Jesus came by and, and just laid hands on him and he healed him and he can see. And another guy goes, 
really? That's awesome. And then somebody else pipes up and says, well, yeah, man, my brother-in-law, dude, my brother-in-law, you know, he, he had been sick for months and Jesus came by and he touched him and he healed him. And, and this buzz starts getting generated in and around Capernaum because Jesus is back. Jesus is home. And so one of them says, listen, we got our friend. He can't walk. I wonder if we get him to Jesus, if Jesus would do something. We've got, we've got this friend who's paralyzed and he needs Jesus. Now, we don't know who started the conversation. We don't know whose idea it was, but somebody in that group of people had to have the idea, we got to invite our friend to go meet Jesus because he's in a situation he can't get out of He's broken, he's paralyzed, he's wounded, he can't fix himself, he's messed up, and he needs Jesus. So somebody had to go up to this guy and say, hey, Jesus is home. I want to take you to meet him. Somebody had to offer an invitation to this guy to go meet Jesus. And why did they do that? Because there was expectation in their heart. We know that if we get our buddy in front of Jesus, we know that, 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 that if we can just get him in the presence of Jesus, something supernatural is going to take place. Something miraculous is going to happen because that's who Jesus is and that's what Jesus does. When broken people are in the presence of Jesus, broken people become healed people. And so we got to get our friend in the presence of Jesus. So somebody got a little invitation in their mouth because of the expectation in their heart. See, when there is expectation in your heart, there will be invitation in your mouth. But the opposite of this is also true. When there's no invitation in your mouth, there's no expectation in your heart. And listen, as I've been thinking about this and just, and just praying about this, this is this, is, this has just been convicting me all week because here's the reality. If I really had an expectation that if we get people in the presence of Jesus, he's going to change their lives, then that expectation would drive me to offer an invitation. But if I'm not offering an invitation, where's the expectation? If I really expected that if I can, dude, if I can just get you in his presence... He's going to take care of everything. If I really believed that, if that faith was in my heart and that expectation was there, that Jesus, he's going to do something amazing and miraculous, that I'm going to do whatever it takes to invite you to come into his presence. And if I'm not inviting you into his presence, what does that say about the expectation that's in my heart? Do I really expect Jesus to do anything? Do I really have faith? So I just want to ask you real quick, you know, what are you expecting? What kind of expectation is in your heart? Specifically for Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is two Sundays away. It's the day we celebrate the resurrection. What are you expecting God to do? What, what is it that you're expecting God to do that only God can do? What are you expecting to happen? Are you expecting that we're just going to come and have a normal, you know, worship experience and, you know, we'll, we'll teach and preach and nothing really is going to happen? Or are you expecting God to do the miraculous? 
Are you expecting that on Resurrection Sunday, when we celebrate the reality that Jesus Christ could not be defeated by death, but he smacked death upside the head, punched him in the teeth, and walked out of the grave, on that Sunday, are you expecting God to do something miraculous? Because if we are, then there'll be an invitation in our mouth. So what is it going to take? What is it going to take to stir up the expectation in your heart? What is, it, what is it going to take? Because for me, when I think about Easter, man, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Easter attendance record. We're going to break an Easter attendance record. Why? Because I'm expecting God to save dozens of people on Easter Sunday. I'm expecting that like the people in Capernaum, when we leave here on Easter Sunday, we're going to say, I've never seen anything like that. I have never seen that many hands go up accepting Jesus. I've never seen that many lives change. I've never seen that many marriages put back together in one Sunday because Jesus was in the house. What are you expecting? What is the expectation that you have in your heart? And what's it going to take to, to stir it up so that there's an invitation in your mouth? What's it, what's it going to take for, for the faith and the boldness to rise up in you to the place where it turns into invitation on your lips? Is there an expectation in your heart? Because expectation leads to invitation. It's not just at Easter. Like when we come here, we, I, every Sunday I expect to meet Jesus because his word promises that when we gather together, he's there. So he's here. Whether you like it or not, Jesus is here. And because Jesus is here, all, all bets are off. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Miracles can happen. What's your expectation? Number two. Number two, moving right along. Expectation in your heart leads to preparation of your plans. Expectation in your heart leads to preparation of your plans. I want to show you an image real quick of, of Capernaum. Let's just throw that up there. Uh, this is kind of modern day Capernaum, right? You see the Sea of Galilee at the bottom. Uh, you got some like houses, some rural. I don't know what those things are. And then, and then just look at the landscape. Now, now this is not a difficult terrain. You know, it's not, it's not impossible to navigate, but it's not exactly the kind of place you want to carry a guy. <laughs> it's kind of hilly. We don't know. Look, we don't know if these guys live in Capernaum. Capernaum's a little small fishing village. Maybe they live there. Maybe they don't. Maybe they, Capernaum is situated such that there's all sorts of, of towns not that far away. Maybe they live in one of those towns. Maybe they live in one of those towns and they've got to make some preparations to get their friend to Capernaum. But because of the expectation in their heart, it leads them to make preparation in their plans. What does that mean? That means these men had to figure out where to get a mat. Hey, we've got to find a mat. You know, we've got we to find a mat and, and, and we've got to figure out who's going to carry it. And, and we've got to, we, you know, somebody's got to figure out how we're going to get there. What's the route we're going to take? Somebody's got to develop a plan. Somebody's got to be a type A person to kind of schedule it all out and, and figure out who's available when and somebody had to take off work and somebody had to miss a day of fishing and, and, and somebody had to, had to coordinate all the details so everybody could be on the, same plan, on the same page because there was an expectation in their heart that if they get their buddy here, Jesus will do the impossible. And so they made some preparations. They made some, some plans. They, 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 they got together so that, so that their friend could meet Jesus because they knew it wasn't just going to happen if they didn't plan it out. 
if they didn't prepare, if they didn't, how, how's he going to get there? Well, we got to have a mat. Who's going to carry it? Well, we got to organize some people to carry it. What are we going to do when we get there? Well, we'll have to figure that out. We'll just take him right inside, drop him in front of Jesus. I don't know. Well, I got to work. Well, you got to take off work. Why? Because Jesus is going to be in Capernaum and our friend needs Jesus. And if we get our friend to Jesus, Jesus will take care of him. That's the expectation they had in their heart, which led them to make preparation in their plans. Listen, listen, uh, we, we've been planning for Easter for months. I've been, I'm not trying to like, you know, uh, act like I got some great sermon plan, but I've been working on this thing for months, months, just trying to ask God, you know, Lord, let me, let me, let me retell the story because here's the reality, man. Some people come to church only on Christmas and Easter and they're like, the church only preaches two things, man. Every time I go to church, it's like the same thing. It's either Jesus is getting born or Jesus is dying. You know, it's, no, you just come other times. We preach all sorts of different things, but you only come those two Sundays. So that's all you hear. But people have heard the, people have heard the resurrection story so many times. It's just dead. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, it's just cold. It's not alive. It's not living. And I've been praying, God, help me to, to, to find a way to present your story in such a way that it's fresh and it captivates our imaginations again. In kids' church, man, they've been making preparations. Kids' experience is just going to be killer. Listen, we got the Easter bunny coming. I know it's not like a really big deal, but I'm pretty excited about that. Like the Easter, but we're going to have a photo booth set up and not like your old tired photo booth where like it's prom pictures. You remember those? Everybody does either this stand or facing each other in the hands. Not those. It's going to be fun. It's going to be uh, lighthearted. We got, we got things happening. We got beginning today. Today begins prayer week. Prayer week, a week of preparation so that we can see God do the miraculous. And so when you walked in today attached to the program, you see the little card. It says, the church I see. Uh, a couple of three months ago, we started the year off by proclaiming, here's the church that we see us becoming. By the power of Jesus Christ, by the, by the, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, who's, here's who we're going to be. And so every day this week, I'm going to encourage you to just pray one of the statements from the church I see. The church I see is a growing church. The church I see is a healing church. The church I see is a serving church, is a, is a, is a, is a passionate church, a, a generational church, a generous church. And, and every day pray and invite God, God, make us the church that you see. Is there, is there preparation going on in your life for what God wants to do? Is there preparation in your planning that matches the expectation in your heart? What's it going to take for you to make some preparations for Easter. Maybe you've got to, maybe you've got to tell that person that you've invited a dozen times, listen, I'll pick you up. I'll clean my car out so that you don't have a you know, nasty car to ride to church in. I'll pick you up. I'll bring you breakfast. I'll take you to lunch. I'll, I'll call you at seven o'clock in the morning, maybe not, 7.30, so you're awake so that you don't oversleep. I'll get up early so that I can be prepared to pick you up. You, want, you need a ride? I'll pick you up. You don't think you'll wake up? I'll call you. What, 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 kind of, what would it look like for us to prepare in such a way that it matched the expectation that when we get people who are broken and messed up and needing Jesus into the presence of Jesus, Jesus will change their lives. What if we prepared in such a way that it matched what we believed only God could do. Number three, 
Number three, expectation in your heart. And this is a good one. Expectation in your heart leads to perspiration on your brow. So these guys, they, they, they make the invitation. Hey, buddy, you want to come meet Jesus? Jesus is in Capernaum. Let's go. They do all the preparation. They get the mat. They, 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 they chart out a route to get there. They figure out who's available to carry and who's going to switch off. And, and, and you know, we can only carry so long. We've got to go up and down these hills. And so we've got to switch off. And so they make all the preparations. Now it's time to execute the plan. Let me ask you a question. If you're carrying a dude laying on a mat who can't carry himself up and down those hills, are you going to sweat a little bit? Yeah, yeah, you're going to sweat a little bit. And when you get to the house and you look, and you go, oh, snap, we can't get him in there. Are you going to look at the crowd that's gathered around the house, the obstacle between your friend finding healing and Jesus, and just go, well, we tried. Let's go back home. Are you going to find a way around? These guys found a different way. And you know what it meant? It meant they were going to sweat a little bit more. Well, now, shoot, now we're at the house. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to go on top of the house. What? We're going to go? Yeah, we're going to go on top of the house. Somebody find a ladder. We didn't bring a ladder. We'll go get a ladder. We're going to get our friend on top of the How are we going to lower him down? You go find ropes. You go. So here, picture this. They get on top of the house. Nobody brought a shovel because the houses weren't, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, three tab shingles. It's thatch roofing. So somebody had to get a little hands dirty. What are we going to dig with? We're just going to dig with our hands, fellas, because our friend's meeting Jesus today. So somebody wasn't afraid to get their hands dirty. Somebody wasn't afraid to sweat. They get the hole built, dug out. Well, we're going to, well now we're just going to drop him right in there. We're not going to just like let him go. We're going to lower him. So it took a little physical horsepower to lower this guy down. Somebody sweat a little bit. When there's expectation in your heart, there will be perspiration on your brow. You'll sweat for Jesus. I know that sounds kind of gross, and I'm not talking about like Richard Simmons sweating to the oldies. But I am talking about sweating for Jesus. When there's expectation in your heart, you'll find a way. You won't stop when the obstacle, you know, when, they, when your buddy says, no, I'm not really interested. You're like, okay, well, I tried. No, I'm going to sweat a little bit. So I'm going to ask you again. I'm not going to do it in an annoying way. I'm not going to be aggravating. I'm not going to offend you, but I'm going to ask you again. I'm not going to stop because I got to get you to Jesus. If I got to dig a hole in the roof, I'm going to dig a hole in the roof because I got to get you in the presence of Jesus. Because if I can get you in his presence, he'll take care of the rest. You'll See, this, and, and again, I don't know how this works, how it all works out theologically, but, but when you're willing to sweat for Jesus that's when the miraculous happens. Like, I don't get it. Like, it's not, you don't earn it, but you sweat for it, okay? I, don't quote me on that. Don't tweet that because I don't know that that's right. Like, you know, don't tell the people at Regent I said that because they would like argue with me. But I don't know how it works, but it's the reality. When you're willing to sweat for Jesus, Jesus does the miraculous. This is what happens in this story. And here, here's what we know. We know that happens here because so many of you already are sweating for Jesus. Like, like people show up, 7 o'clock, 
7 o'clock or earlier on Sunday morning so that we can get lights up and, and, and things on the stage and equipment set up and cords hooked up and, and kids' church uh, put up and make sure it's clean and safe and sanitized. And, and right now, people are sweating for Jesus. People are running uh, computers and sound equipment and somebody's changing a diaper and somebody's cleaning up throw up probably somewhere and somebody else is like teaching Jesus all on their level, sweating for Jesus. Why are they doing that? Because there's an expectation. That if we get you in the presence of Jesus, he's going to do the miraculous. He's going to change your life. So I just want to ask a question again, you know, kind of gross, but are you sweating? Is there perspiration on your brow? Well, what are my options? Well, in a couple of weeks, you know, uh, actually a week from yesterday, we start our passion week. It's a week of sweating for Jesus. <laughs> we start our passion week with our gas buy down. At the, at the 7-Eleven on Battlefield, we're going to sweat for Jesus and pump some gas. We're going to partner with Hope Charitable, Hope Charitable Services and sweat for Jesus. We've got a whole list of things we're going, to, we're going to do for that ministry so that people can come to find Jesus. And it's not about us. They're not, probably, when we go there and build a fence and, and paint a room and tear out a ceiling, listen, listen, the people that meet Jesus there, we'll probably never see them. We'll probably never know. It's not about us. It's not like I got to sweat for Jesus and then Jesus does the miracle for me. Because catch this, these guys sweated for Jesus and got nothing. Nothing except the gratitude of their friend who got healed. They received Jack. Their buddy was the guy who experienced the miracle. Doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's not. I don't, I don't sweat for Jesus to get from Jesus. I sweat for Jesus because I love him and there's an expectation in my heart that if I can get you in his presence, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. So let me kind of recap the story. The guys, they offer the invitation because of the expectation. They make preparation because of the expectation. They, they, they have perspiration on the brow because of the expectation in their heart. Then the moment of truth happens. They finally get their buddy down there in front of Jesus. You know, people got to be looking and thinking, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, 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 he, you know, we went to high school together. I remember him. He, you know, people, he just kind of drug him around the school. And, and I, 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 I didn't think about helping him. Religious people just sitting there listening to all Jesus' teaching. Oh, look at that. Oh, some, put a skylight in church today. Look at that. Had to build a balcony because there's been too many people in church. Now they're just going to sit people on the roof. You know what would be freaking cool? Sorry if you don't like that word. Um, it would be so stinking cool. I'll use that one. So stinking cool if we had to open the balcony on Easter Sunday because there's just so many people. Like, there's just so many people. We got to dig a hole in the roof. We don't sit people up there. The only people that sit up there right now are the computer guys, girls, people who operate the, the media equipment. Like, well, we got to open up. The, we got to dig a hole so people can sit in the balcony because people are just meeting Jesus left and right. Wouldn't that be cool? Awesome. Anyway, let's, uh, let's keep on going. You know what happened? I can guarantee you what happened. I don't know if you're like a demonstrative person. I'm kind of a demonstrative person. I like to celebrate. You put me in a football game and a dude scores a touchdown and it's my team, I will chest bump whoever's next to me. I don't care. I may not know you and I don't like to hug, but I will hug you if our team scores. I will give you a high five and I won't even look at you weird if you give me one of those good game, bro. Little, little, little booty smack. That's what happens. Guys, guys all act like, no, man, I'm not demonstrative. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't get excited. I just, I just, you know, I'm cool. But man, you put us at like a sporting event. You, you put us at a hockey game. 
You put us like at a soccer. Have you ever been to a soccer match and somebody scores because they don't score at every game? Is it soccer? Man, it was 0-0. Zero, zero. It was a great game. Oh. I thought the point of the game was to score. Yeah, man, it's great. Oh, okay. Um, love soccer. All soccer fans, this is great. Uh, anyway, anyway, you let somebody score at a soccer match. Have you ever watched them score? They're like running around the field, ripping their shirts off, sliding. Yeah, go. Why? Listen, why? Because something great happened. Something incredible happened. Here's number four. When there's expectation in, or expectation in your heart leads to celebration in the church expectation when there's an expectation in the heart of the people in the church it's always going to lead to celebration in the church they lower their friend down there you know when jesus said dude get up and walk out of here and go home you know on top of that roof they just erupted their chest bumps high fives all over the place Did you see our buddy got healed come on man this was awesome it's the greatest day ever you know that's what happened you know they're hugging it out you know that they're smacking each other. Man, you, you carried so great. Good game, bro. You did it great. You know, they're just going crazy because their buddy got healed. They're excited. Look how excited the crowd was. Look at what Mark says. He says, this amazed everyone and they praised God. Expectation in your heart will lead to praise to God. Expectation in your heart leads to celebration in the church. We're saying we have never seen anything like this. And I, don't, I just want to be honest, man. I think this is exactly what Jesus wants for us today. I, I honestly believe that Jesus wants us to leave this place on Easter Sunday saying, I've never seen anything like that before. I remember the first time I ever preached an Easter service. And I, you know, I'm sweating because it's like it's game day. <laughs> and you got to be on point. And I remember, man, I'm like, oh God, I've gotta, I've, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. Jesus, just help me. I'm going to go for it. And if nobody gets saved, I'm just going to, I don't care. I'm just going to, and I remember the feeling of standing there and people just go, and it's like hands, 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 hands. And I just remember going, holy crap. I've never seen anything like this. I've never been, I've, I've watched it on TV. I've gone to churches where they did their thing and but I've never been on the, on the field when it happened. This is awesome. And I want to tell you, it's going to happen in two weeks. Is there an expectation in your heart that's going to lead to celebration in the church? Real quick, I want to show you one more thing uh, before, before we wrap up, just kind of, uh, just kind of in closing. Ver verse 3, jump back with me to verse 3. Mark says this, Mark says, some men came. See, we, we always think it's just four. When we tell the story, it's just four men because he says, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. But we'd have no idea how many men it took to get this guy to Jesus. Look, you don't know how many people it's going to take to, to invite your friend to Jesus for them to finally say yes. They didn't do it alone. Like one guy may have had the idea and another guy may have had the mat and somebody else may have been able to round up a couple of extra people to help carry it. But, but Mark says, some men came, which meant nobody had to carry this guy alone. 
Nobody had to invite alone or prepare alone or sweat alone. When someone meets Jesus, we all celebrate together. We don't have to do it by ourselves. We don't have to do it alone. And so here's what I want to do to finish. When you came in today, everybody all over the auditorium, you should have received a a white blank index card. Did you receive one of those when you came in? If you, did, if you don't have one, if it fell out or you didn't pick one up, like raise your hand. One of our auditorium hosts will come by and give you a, a white index card. Just lift your hand up. You're not going to get like singled out or anything like that. Just they'll, they'll hand you a white index card if you don't have one. I want you to take that card because we're going to do something with it pretty special here in just a moment. Just keep your hand up. Put it right back down. Most of you have one when you came in, but a couple people, you know, drops, you just missed it or whatever. I want you to take that out. I want you to look at this verse with me one more time. Verse 12. Now on the screen, it's just going to say blank, but we know it's that Mark put he. So, so I'm going to read it, but it's got the blank. And I want you to pay attention to the blank. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I've already told you, man, that's what I want us to leave on Easter Sunday Say never seen anything like this. Something supernatural has just happened. Here's the question I want to ask you. It's the last thing I'm going to ask you. We're going to pray here in just a minute, and then we're we're going to go about our business for Sunday. Who is it in your life that if their name filled that blank and they met Jesus, your words would be, I've never seen anything like this. Who's your blank? Who's your guy in, uh, laying on a mat? Who's the person in your life that, that you think they're least likely to meet Jesus? Would you take just a moment and would you write that on that card? It, you, you might just write, Dad. Dad. Dad got up, took his mat, and walked out healed by Jesus. Maybe, maybe, yours, says, maybe yours says, Dad, if, if my dad got saved, man, I'd be floored. I would be mess- I, I wouldn't be able to believe it. Maybe it's an old roommate. Maybe it's somebody that you, that you serve with on your ship or, 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 or where you're stationed. Maybe it's somebody that you, you work with. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody a couple cubicles down and you hear the way they talk and you're like, dude, they need Jesus. My Lord, they need Jesus. And you're thinking, dude, if they met Jesus, I would be blown away. I wouldn't, I'd barely be able to believe it. It might be a, it might be a neighbor that you've invited a dozen times and they just continually tell you, no, not this week, not this week, maybe next week, maybe, and they never come with you. And you're like, man, I've invited them a dozen times, but if I saw them come and meet Jesus, it'd be amazing. Who's your blank? all over the auditorium. I want you to, they may not be local, okay? I want you to try to think local, but some of us just moved to the area. You might not have a local person. Who is it? If they met Jesus, you'd be floored. I want to challenge you this morning. Write their name on that that card. Here in a minute, we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for the person on your card. But then just to illustrate the reality that we don't have to do this alone. We're going to exchange cards. And we're going to pray again. Then, 
we're going to exchange cards again. And, and somebody that you may not even know is going to pray for the person that you wrote down because we don't have to carry these people alone. Then we're going to exchange cards one more time because four people carried the man. And so I figured four times praying for our cards makes sense. Four of us are going to pray for the person that you would be floored if they came to Jesus. Some of these people you're not even going to know are going to be praying for the person that you want to see meet Jesus most. So, so, so just take a second. Hopefully you've already got it written down. And, and I just want to pray. I want to pray because there's an expectation in my heart. And I want to make sure there's an invitation in our mouth. And there's preparation in our plans. And there's perspiration in our brow. So that on Easter, there'll be celebration in the church. Amen. Would you take your card and would you just pray with me? Pray for that person specifically. Jesus, we come before you today. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.